So I want to know, are you sending the kids back to school? Can you send the kids back to school? Should you send the kids back to school? It's interesting that there are a variety of different answers depending on the household, correct? In one household, you might have parents who say, I am going to find a school that is open. Regardless of what my school district says, we might have to transfer because my kids, they are going to school no matter what. Other households say the complete opposite. There's no way my kid's going back to school. I can't believe they're planning to go to school at all. I might have to homeschool just to keep things the way they are. And then parents are wondering about their responsibility in all of this. On the one end, as a parent... If I don't send my kids back to school and they don't develop socially or academically, is that all my fault? If I do send my kids back to school and they get sick, is that all my fault? It's a crazy time, isn't it? And so to keep things light, I think the only thing we maybe can agree on is that there are going to be some great first day of school pictures. But it reminds me of issues that drive people crazy. And early in ministry, I found a recipe for how to go crazy. And I wanted to share with you this recipe. Are you ready? If you want to go crazy over this issue or any other issue, here is my very simple recipe. It is concerning yourself with things you can't control. And so how this applies. If right now you are concerned with what all the other parents are going to do with the school that you're attending you might be going crazy. Can't control them. If right now you're concerned with the school district that you're in and hoping that they will or won't do your personal preference, you, you might be going crazy. And if you're looking for the long-term benefit of your child, their future, their health, indefinitely, you might be going crazy because you're not in control. Which is why I love the serenity prayer. Have any of you come across the serenity prayer? Uh, used in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, created by a pastor in the early 1900s. Uh, here's a revision of the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Heard it? So there are things that I cannot change. Uh, usually other people. Uh, the government, the economy. The health of my children, I can't always control those things, limited control. Things I can change, which is usually just myself. And even that to a limited degree, if you are in Christ, though, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to propel you, uh, which helps. And then again, wisdom to know the difference. 
You know, there's a scripture where I, I just love the dichotomy of what's in my control and what's not in my control. Uh, it talks about how to deal with people. And in Romans chapter 12, it says this is an overarching theme. It says, you know what you should do? You should live at peace with everyone. You should try to do that. But then it also says, if it's possible. Because <laughs> sometimes it's not possible. And as far as it depends on you, because you can't control the other person. Yeah, Scripture is pretty good at discernment. But you know, it's not just the school issue where we wonder... What's in my control and what's in God's? I think of people in business wondering, you know, what you should do for work. You know, I'm a, a called worker, and um, I believe that God is in control of results. But what I've seen is sometimes I can go too far on this, and, and because, God, you're in control of results, I can stick my head in the sand like an ostrich, just continue to work away without evaluation and accountability, and it's just going to be all be yours anyway, right? It's all up to you, God. But then on the other end, I can get in this framework, and maybe you've been here, where, well, if I just evaluate enough, if I'm uh, just accountable enough, if I'm working hard enough and doing the right things, then the results will come. It's all up to me. So what is it? Up to God or up to me? I love this quote by St. Augustine. He said, you should pray as though everything depends on God, but work as if it all depends on you. Pray and depend on God, right? But then do whatever your hands find to do with all your might. as working for the Lord, not for men. And it's this dichotomy that we get to speak into today. And again, I want to welcome you, especially if you're just joining us for the series on the miracles of Jesus. Uh, welcome again. And uh, The biggest thing we hope you always find is that God loves you. <laughs> He's crazy for you. He sent his son to release you from fear and guilt and shame, and he has overcome. But this series is guiding us on so many other ideas. And today I think it will guide us on this dichotomy of what's up to God and what's up to me, and I hope the Holy Spirit blesses you through this discussion. So today we take a look at uh, the most famous parable, or one of them, the feeding of the 5,000. A raise of hands if you ever heard of Jesus feeding 5,000. Okay, so I, I confirmed pretty much everyone has heard this story. Uh, very good. Well, we get to take a look at it from the lens of uh, John who wrote it. Uh, I invite you to follow along on the screen or your handout. Here it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked us only to test him. We already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And we know from other accounts of this that this was besides women and children. So this could have been the feeding of 15,000 if every man brought a wife and one child. Incredible. Jesus then took the loaves 
gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the twelve baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had been eaten. <laughs> been eaten. Those who had eaten. Um, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the incredible parable we get to discuss. Uh, feel free to say out loud, God's got an answer, but he may use what you got. Thank you so much. Big news this past week from Beirut. Uh, perhaps some of you have heard of an explosion that was going on. Uh, 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate uh, that was uh, lit on fire that caused just huge devastation. Uh, here's a picture from the city of what it looked like. Um, and I was doing uh, some research on the blast radius and saw uh, this is the comparison in Chicago. Uh, that if the Navy Pier area is where you'd have widespread destruction, in places like Evanston and Oak Lawn, you'd still have your windows blown out. Uh, that's how big the explosion was. Obviously, a very tragic circumstance with 149 lives taken, at least that's the last that I heard. And, and today I wanted you to imagine if you woke up as a resident of Beirut. I want you to imagine trying to clean up everything around you. News reported that there were some who took brooms and started cleaning what they could. And, and so I want you to imagine that you have a broom in Beirut. At a certain point, would you pause and say, this is bigger than me. The problem and the solution is more than me with just a broom. This is going to take time and intervention that me alone cannot solve. And the reason I bring this up is because we all have similar experiences. We all have experiences where we have a broom in the middle of Beirut, and here's what I mean, where a situation is just too much for us. And during COVID, that is something that we've seen. At one point or another, from an emotional standpoint, uh, from what to do with the kids, from a financial standpoint, we have had a broom in the middle of Beirut saying, the problem and its solution, it is way too big for me. There has to be other intervention for, for something to be fixed. And that's what's going on in the parable. In fact, Jesus sets it up that way. When Jesus sees the crowd of, let's say, 15,000, he turns to Philip and this is what he says. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And there we see Philip with a broom in the middle of Beirut. Because have you ever planned a party? You know what it is maybe when one or two people don't RSVP and you don't know if you have to go to Costco and pick up some more burgers and chicken, right? Can you imagine throwing an impromptu party for 15,000 of your closest friends? I can't, <laughs> right? And Jesus does this on purpose. In fact, Scripture lets us know what is actually going on in the next verse. It says, he had this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And, and here we find that God loves to give tests. 
right? Have you noticed that recently about your life, that God loves to give tests? In fact, I was studying this, and I was kind of reminded of ACTs. I was just curious, anyone take the ACTs more than once? Uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Because we always have something more to learn. And what I find with Jesus, what I find with our God, is that sometimes he gives tests a thousand times. I wonder how many times he has tested me or you personally on the idea of provision, that I will provide. And sometimes in a week, you know, um, he'll throw an unexpected bill your way. Are you going to pass the test? Or when it comes to our kids, that we're not in control. And he gives us a day where everything changes drastically in a day of which we had no control trying to test us. Or when it comes to our plans, right now he's taking away our vision of the future so, so that we rely on him. Yes, God is a test giver. But he's got a good reason for it. In fact, that's what we saw in our first lesson. He's got a heart of love for you, even as he tests you. For this is what he says. Through James, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. What is the reason that God gives our tests? Is so that we may mature. So that we get used to relying on God for provision and relying on God's control. He tests over and over so that we would get stronger as the years go by. And so he sets this test up for Philip. And through the lens of scripture, we get to peer over Philip's answer on his test. And Philip gives a, a crack at the test and he says this, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now as he's in the middle of the test, would you give him a, a pass or a fail? Thumbs up, thumbs down. This is a fail. <clears throat> Do over. And what Philip does is he looks at it from a completely earthly standpoint. He's trying to calculate, and it says half year's wages. In the Greek, it was 200 drachmas. And he's trying to say, wow, it would take a lot of money, right, for each one to get a bite. But he's looking at it from the wrong lens. He's looking at it from a completely earthly lens. And what we find is this, that some earthly problems require heavenly solutions. The idea of how to feed 5,000 people will not be from Costco and not be from the bank. It will be a heavenly solution. Now, I consider this answer from one of my favorite psalms, which is Psalm 121. And in that psalm, they picture travel back in the day. And travel back then without an SUV and being out in nature was very precarious. You had the wind and you had... Uh, robbers who wanted to attack and steal your stuff. You had wild animals who could attack you. And so that's a situation that's way too big uh, for someone back then. And, and the psalmist says this then. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. When you have a broom in the middle of Beirut, you know what you need to do? You need to go to your helper who is the maker of heaven and earth. 
The one who spoke and called out all dry land. The one who spoke put the stars in the sky. This one is able to handle it. And sometimes he puts us in situations too big for us so that we rely on the one bigger than ourselves. Because honestly, right now we need a heavenly solution, don't we? Even if a vaccination would come right now, even if it was foolproof, there are still problems that need heavenly solutions. Which is why, you, you know what I wanted Philip to respond? I wanted Philip to go back to Jesus, and Jesus said, where are you going to buy bread? And, and Philip's like, no, Jesus, where are you going to get the bread? Because Jesus, here's what I know about you. When your nation needed food, the Israelites were in the desert. You called bread down from heaven and provided each day. Jesus, I heard what you did with Elijah. When he was in uh, the countryside, you sent ravens. And you sent them to a widow's house where there was a jug and a jar that never ran out. No, Jesus, what are you going to do? And right now, I think, is the time where we don't say, I got all the answers. We turn back to the Lord and we say, God... Out of curiosity and wonder, what are you going to do? Because handling this issue for my kids and handling this issue for myself, it is way beyond me. i got to turn it back to you. That's the only way I find hope and peace. I remember when I had that realization in ministry. It was a big deal. I was reflecting on, on some of the great people that had come and gone, and, and this congregation has probably been three congregations in 12 years. And I was like, God, what can I do? As people I love are, are leaving, and, and, and they have good circumstances to leave, but wh what do I do? But I was answering it with the wrong question. Because when people were coming and going, the, the question isn't, what am I going to do? I had to flip it back to God and say, God, but what are you going to do? Because I had no control. And they're better off somewhere there or there. What are you going to do? And with curiosity and wonder, just trust that God would continue to provide. But it's so hard. It's so hard to turn first to our dependence on God. It's much easier to first say, what do I got to do? In fact, I consider this in the story of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, when it came to salvation, thought it was all up to him for a time. And he was plagued by insecurity as he thought salvation was by works. He was not at peace as he was trying to be good and good enough. And, and priests would send him away after confession and say, come back when you have real sins to confess. And, and though he was impeccable as a monk, he still knew he was not perfect and he was plagued. It's all up to me. But he finally found peace when he learned salvation was a heavenly solution. When he read from Romans about a righteousness from God. This passage from Romans, it says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is not by works, not by Luther being good, not by us being good, but simply by faith, and faith too, a gift of God. Faith just receiving what God gave. And when he understood this righteousness simply comes by faith, then there was peace. Then there was joy. 
then there was hope. And so for us, today I think we need to repent of all the times we simply depend on ourselves. As if we got it all figured out. As if we were strong enough. As if what we did really, really matters to God in the long run. He's in control. The feeding of the 5,000 is not about earthly people figuring it out. It is about him showing up powerfully. And the heart, the heart of why he does this is love. In Mark's account, this is what it tells us about his view on the people. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. He had a heart that went out to them. And in his heart, he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he pointed them to heaven. He taught them that he was the Messiah, and he also provided for their needs. That same God shows up today. And first of all, he feeds you spiritually. And the greatest heavenly solution is the cross of Jesus Christ where you and I are forgiven of everything. Everything we'll do in the future, everything we have done now, and everything in the past is wiped clean. We're complete peace through the cross of Jesus. There's nothing better. But it's not just that he provides a heavenly solution. He continues to provide our earthly needs. How great is the love of our God. Well, as this test was going, there was another possible answer to the test. In our time together, we should look at that answer, too. It's from uh, the brother of Peter, Andrew. And he said this, here's my answer to the test. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? And what I want to talk to you about is this, that heavenly solutions are often brought about by earthly instruments. God still uses the earthly. You know, talk about this a little bit. I, I remember meeting with a man who told me how he got a job, and it was incredible. He said he was in the office, and he was just praying, and out of nowhere after hours of prayer, the phone rang, and it was someone offering him a job. And that's pretty incredible, and I believe in the power of prayer. But there was a part of me as a pastor that was hoping he not only prayed, but he also put out some resumes. Because in the future, if this ever happens, I'm not sure that's what he should expect from God. Just the heavenly phone ring. I met another man who um, needed some healing. And, and he said he was praying over it. And I'm like, that, that's really good. I'm glad you're praying. God, God's a healer. He walks on water. He raises the dead. That's good. But I was always so hoping he'd go to the doctor. Right? And see what the doctor told him and, and what he might have used as far as the earthly means attached to his body. Now here's the thing. Um, I believe God walks on water. I, I believe, you know, he can make a pig fly. He can do whatever he wants. But what I often see him doing is using earthly means. Have you? Back to the parable. What, what could Jesus do? Jesus could send the bread down from heaven. He could make it rain manna once again, Right? What does Jesus do? He uses a boy's sack lunch. What did it say? Five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, now, now by the way, that's a really dumb idea, isn't it? <laughs> I got a sack lunch for 15,000 people. What do you think, Jesus? 
Like, it's, it's not the greatest idea. But Jesus uses it. And so here's a principle that I found. When, when it comes to our lives for the Lord, simply bring what you got, however little it might be. And don't worry about what you don't have. You know, as a church, I, I remember learning about how other people did outreach. And um, there are some churches who are big enough to bring in big speakers like Tim Tebow and Brian Erlacher. And, and the head of uh, a, a band that he now turned Christian, Brian Head Welch. And, and these were all in our area. And, and wow, that's, that's attractional. I heard of another uh, church for their Easter egg hunt. They had a helicopter. And, and they were parachuting down iPads and video game systems. They made national news. I'm like, that's incredible. That's awesome. There are other churches when it comes to outreach, they can get thousands of young kids together and actually, you know, handle that in a safe manner. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then our church, what do we do? We have soccer camps, we have parades, we invite people. And what I've learned when it comes to outreach is that I don't need to worry about what others are doing. I need to simply do what we can do and ask God to bless it. When it comes to stewardship, I can't be everyone and I can't do everything. But what I can is I can bring what I've got and bring the gifts that, that God gave. And I can simply say, here you go, Lord. C could you do something with that? And how this might apply to some Christians is, is maybe you're trying to trust God when it comes to money. And here's what God is not asking of you. He's not asking you for the money that you don't have. Hallelujah and amen, right? Here's what he might be honored by. The little that you bring as you depend on the source of all things. Some of you are, are interested in volunteering and getting engaged in the church. Here's what he's not asking of you. The talents he didn't give. Not everyone's a singer. Amen? But what he might ask of you is to, to give what you got when it comes to time and when it comes to talent. When it comes to the future, I, I know some people are planners. Here's what God is not asking of you, to have the next year all figured out and buttoned up. You know what he may be asking of you, though, is to use the strength and energy that he gave you to get through today. And I actually think he had some things about don't worry too far into the future. Yes, we bring what we've got, and we don't worry about what he didn't give. And Andrew bringing just a silly, silly, dumb idea. It's more than enough. And I wonder how Jesus did it. Like, did they go into the brown paper bag? Because I'm sure they had those back then. And, you know, they just kept bringing out fish. Or, like, once he said the prayer, did it just, like, multiply? Like, immediately, banquet table style. I was thinking a silly thought. I, I grew up watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I don't know if you ever heard that. So instead of like the shrink gun, I wonder if he like had a, a big gun that like enlarged the fish and now you had like this two huge fish that everyone was just ridiculous, right? But what I mean to say is he was not limited by the size of the offering. He was not limited by, by what was given. In fact, he didn't just provide for their needs. It says they ate as much as they wanted and they sat down in green grass. How good is our God? What I learned from this 
is that the little we offer God in faith is more than enough. You ever see something little uh, grow to something big? I was learning about a, a child's business this past week. This is uh, Mr. Corey. Grew up in New Jersey, and he started selling hot cocoa and lemonade in order to get a car for the family so they wouldn't have to ride the bus. After cocoa and lemonade, he started making cookies. And Ellen got a hold of uh, Mr. Corey. And after Ellen got a hold of Mr. Corey, uh, so did Pottery Barn and Whole Foods. Uh, so did Williams Sonoma. And, and, and from a little hot cocoa lemonade deal, uh, he's now <laughs> a millionaire entrepreneur, uh, Mr. Corey's Cookies. A little can lead to a lot. Do you know Jesus says the same thing about the kingdom of faith? His illustration has nothing to do with lemonade and cookies, but it has to do with the mustard seed. He says, you know what faith is like? It starts very little. But over time, as it matures, it grows into this huge tree that gives shade to everyone else. Have you ever seen it happen? For my family, it was two generations. So my great-great-grandfather, who was the first Christian of our family. And just because this great-grandfather started coming to church, it meant the rest of the family started coming to church. It meant he'd have a grandson who was a pastor, uh, a great-grandson who turned to be a pastor, all because of his turn towards God. And so God can do so much. Don't let the devil convince you what you got is too little. Don't let him stop you from offering what you simply have. You give that to God and he can do so much. I love this passage from Zechariah. Who dares despise the day of small things? Maybe today it's just taking a step. You don't have to be a Christian with all it figured out. By the way, no one does. But you're just going to take a step in one area. And don't let the devil get you down. Trust him in faith. So you're sending the kids back to school? Can we trust God with our kids? Amen. Can we also use the wisdom that he gave us to make wise decisions? Amen. Our God will continue to show compassion to us, will continue to provide for our needs, and use what we've got. May that encourage you today. Let me pray for you. So, Heavenly Father, give to us the solutions we need for the time. Give us in a broken world peace and perspective to see you working for our good in all things. Help us also to respond to your love out of thanks, offering what we can give while seeking your blessing on it. Hold this country, our kids, in your compassionate hands during this time. Extend your kingdom and draw your people to your side. In Jesus' name, amen.